You're listening to Destination Country X, a KPMG tax radio podcast series. We cover key U.S. and foreign tax and trade developments that affect cross-border investment. I'm your host, Kim Major, a principal with Washington National Tax and tax industry lead for U.S. international corridors. We're glad you could join us. Enjoy the program. So with all the discussions of Tax Reform 2.0, one of the big highlights is the proposed replacement of the beat with the shield. The two resemble one another at a high level in that they're both anti-base stripping regimes, but it doesn't take long to realize that the two are in fact very different. A move to the shield would put some very different competitive pressures on companies with U.S. operations. And with us today to talk about winners and losers on the event horizon, are my co-host, Courtney Wallace, an international tax principal from our Detroit office, Jennifer Sponzilli, international tax principal from New York and the U.S. side of our U.S.-Swiss international corridor, and Peter Ubelhart, international tax partner from our Zurich office and the Swiss side of our U.S.-Swiss corridor. Thank you, Kim, and welcome, Jennifer and Peter. BEAT has been a very challenging and I think often surprising area of reform. As we shift now to the shield, our clients are asking a lot of questions and have a lot of interest in how this might work out. Jennifer, could you do us a favor and take us through some of the basics um, on the proposal commonly known as the shield? Sure, Kim. In a nutshell, there are three requirements. First, Shield applies to financial reporting groups that have $500 million in global revenue and at least one U.S. group member. Second, Shield is triggered whenever you have a payment from the U.S. to another member of that financial reporting group. And third, some level of disallowance occurs if you have at least one low-tax payee in the group. A lot of base stripping historically is focused on what's going on with the payor side of the equation. Are you inappropriately base stripping? Are you engaged in too much base stripping? But this is a little bit more focused on payee. It is a little different. The payee side needs to have at least a, possibly a 15%, maybe a 21% effective tax rate. So we're looking at an effective tax rate for the payee, but not necessarily just the payee. Yes, because it covers direct and indirect payments. All right. So what does that mean? Let's say I'm making a payment to Mexico. The Mexican tax rate is pretty darn high. And even if the effective rate is lower than the marginal rate, I'm probably going to exceed 15%. Is that the end of the story? No. Unfortunately, that's not the end of the story. So you also have operations in Cayman, and Cayman doesn't have that 15% rate. So that would taint any of your payments. If you were making a direct payment to the low tax jurisdiction, you would get a complete disallowance. But even if you made a payment to a high tax jurisdiction, you would get hit with some level of disallowance under the indirect payment rule. It's not a complete disallowance in the the entire amount would be disallowed, but the amount that is reflective of your global low taxed percentage of, of profits would be disallowed from that payment. Yes, that's yes. my understanding as well. We still have to go back as a practical matter and, and do a full analysis to see what our profile is. And then, you know, we otherwise have to think through what the indirect impact would be. So, Court, this is a little bit like 
the Mexican um, deduction disallowance rules that we were talking about with Armando Lara not too long ago. If there is a payment from Mexico to a qualifying effective rate company, uh, then the qualifying effective rate company pays on to a different jurisdiction. The portion that is treated as paid on is disallowed if that ultimate payee doesn't make the effective tax rate. This is a little different though, isn't it? I think that's right because when we talked about these with, with Armando relative to Mexico, we were struggling a little bit because there was a lot of payments going out of the U.S. So Mexico to U.S. and then on to Switzerland, what's it for, right? Is it related? Is it not related? You, do you even have to make a payment to no. a, a low tax jurisdiction? I didn't think that you did. Right. Well, I and I think that's the weirdness of the indirect payment rule. Unlike the Mexican rule, you don't have to have what we would otherwise view as almost like a back-to-back or a conduit or, or whatnot. Here, it just is treated as happening. And so if you happen to be housing a ton of profits in Switzerland, you know, then, then even if you're making a payment to Mexico, a proportion of the Mexican payment is just going to be disallowed. Yes, money is fungible. And that's why this is so different than the beat. And then at, at the same time, I think that many Swiss groups have direct dealings with their U.S. Uh, subsidiaries or their U.S. clients. And then we, we would have the immediate application, I believe, of SHIELD in a, in a probably pretty dramatic format, right? And the thinking is that guilty would qualify as a minimum tax regime that would effectively remove U.S. headquartered multinationals from the SHIELD. It would be non-U.S. headquartered multinationals that would be swept up in it. Right. There was something in the Green Book that talked about how deductions not only to related persons, but also unrelated deductions could be disallowed. Shield applies to any payment, not just deductible ones. You know, historically with BEAT, we had the COGS exception and now we don't, right? Yeah. And I guess if you don't have a limit to just related party payments, you're looking also to COGS and I guess even amounts that would ultimately be capitalizable as opposed to deductible. So they'll figure out how to take it, even if it's with respect to unrelated deductions. So I'm sure there are going to have to be some coordination rules there too. So joy and fun. And remember, for the field, you've got a 500 million global revenue threshold. That threshold isn't just limited to revenue from the U.S. operations like these. And so it will capture many more corporations or many more multinational groups than BEAT does. I think I had seen that the revenue estimate on this was something like 400 billion, billion with a B, um, over a nine-year period. Honestly, I don't really understand how revenue estimation is done, but no matter how it's done, that's a big number. And that was surprising to me too, Kim, because when I peeled it back a little bit and I said, well, wait a second, if, you know, with guilty and subpart F, we look at our U.S.-based multinationals and they largely get pulled out and not have shield apply, how are they getting such a big number? So it's going to apply to more of our inbound companies than otherwise we were seeing with the beat. In terms of breadth, beat contains so many exemptions, not the COGS exemption. There, There's none here. There doesn't seem to be a hide nor hair of as an SDM exemption, nor can I really think of a good policy hook to get one. I don't know where there's going to be a significant amount of relief that might be granted. 
So I think there there is some hope um, in the Green Book. There is a the suggestion that Treasury could be given the authority to create a so-called whitelist of countries that wouldn't be caught up in the shield. But it remains to be seen whether they would do that. So as I think about the shield and how we're putting this in place, isn't this really just a mechanism for kind of strong arming other countries into adopting a BEPS 2.0 style income inclusion type rule and, a, you know, the under tax payment rule? Yeah, quite frankly, I'm not sure how much strong arming there actually is required. Certainly many of the uh, high tax large European countries, they, they all, they can't wait to implement Pillar 2. Uh, with all those rules and everybody expects that they will be collecting more tax money than ever. And when you look at the last 18 months, we'll know that uh, they also need the money. I think there's going to be a huge momentum for at least Pillar 1 to be implemented fairly soon, that there will be some kind of consensus. And I don't think that uh, those uh, countries that show lower tax rates, like, um, for example, Switzerland or Ireland, I don't think they will have the necessary um, political weight uh, to to avoid that evolution. Personally, I'm pretty sure that we will have some type of global minimum taxation being implemented fairly soon. And you've never had a CFC rule, is that right, in Switzerland? No, we've never had that. Uh, we've always uh, considered that an advantage for many years. Uh, yeah. But as you would probably agree, the global tax landscape has so dramatically changed that sometimes even advantages quickly can turn into disadvantages. So I would expect that it's also going to be discussed whether Switzerland introduces uh, CFC rules like an income inclusion rule. Just think about tax reform. 35% was high in public estimation. And then we went to 21 and all of a sudden there was a big rush of people thinking, gee, we really ought to be investing more in the United States. Now we're going back up. If we're going to go back up, um, wouldn't we want everybody else to come up with us? If we effectively force them to raise their rates, we make them a little less attractive in comparison to our 28% rate, or even in comparison to a 21% rate. Yes, Kim, of course, that's exactly what's going on. It's an approach of uh, undermining the effectiveness of low tax rates that certain countries have uh, and to impose a certain minimum level de facto. For Switzerland, that's a very important development because um, more than half of the Swiss cantons uh, with their combined effective rate, they are below the 15%. Uh, uh, mainly driven also by the recent reform we had in Switzerland two years ago. Um, so Switzerland, uh, especially large Swiss organizations that have presence in the US, um, they are very carefully currently looking at those shield proposals, trying to understand what they really mean and what consequences it has. So when I listen to you, it looks like uh, it's a bit like uh, somebody takes the undertaxed payment rules uh, of Pillar 2 uh, and puts it on steroids and <laughs> takes it to a completely different level. And with, quite frankly, some of the features I'm not sure I understand. Um, there may be some unwanted consequences built in again, like we already had in the prior US tax reform. But I would hope that 
the final design of shield would be closer to uh, what under tax payment rule looks like in pillar two, um, which also has its complexities, but which I think is also somewhat easier to understand. I see your point. I don't think that the legislators really intended for the beat to hit US-based multinationals, for example. The thought was that there would be a leveling of the playing field between foreign-based multinationals and US-based multinationals. Well, it did hit US-based multinationals and that took a lot of people by surprise. So I can say maybe from a Midwest perspective, the beat <laughs> has been super challenging for us. Um, we've got a lot of manufacturers who otherwise are doing what we would think would be good positive things and keeping their IP in the US, having a ton of development here, and then only using engineering services or otherwise in some of our foreign jurisdictions, right, where um, maybe there's production happening, maybe it's application engineering, maybe it's more advanced engineering, but they've been getting hit very hard by BEAT, and I don't think that that's what was otherwise intended, to mm -hmm. your point. Where now mm -hmm. we've got this shift to shield potentially, it puts the manufacturers in a better spot um, because they may otherwise be out of the rules based on guilty rates and otherwise. So that it would be positive. I, I think it's an easier sell to get shield through just because it is borne by foreign-based multinationals. Well, that's a good point that because the US-based multinationals are out because of guilty, who cares? Right. right. Politically, okay. you can see where there might be some U.S.-based multinationals that might focus on other provisions and not so much the shield. Peter, thinking about this, there are two ways that the Swiss companies could react to this. One is to go push on the Swiss government. But the other thing that they could do is simply not make payments out of the United States. And we all know that that's not simple. But we just went through an exercise with a lot of the companies in BEAT. For example, if you had global procurement in the Netherlands or Switzerland or somewhere like that, and you had payments um, made from the U.S. to that company, a lot of people wrestled with that. We talked about agency issues. We talked about beneficial ownership issues. Who owns the payment? Who owns the deduction? Who owns the contract with third parties, et cetera? And what they did in a lot of cases, they said, let's not make an outbound payment to Switzerland. Let's relocate the focal point. U.S. will do all global procurement and then U.S. will charge back to the other countries. And whatever the contracts look like, it's going to be an inbound payment. It's not going to be an outbound payment. So there, there's no beat. There's no shield. We're done. Right. And a lot of maneuvering had to occur, but a lot of companies did, in fact, do the maneuvering and they shifted around their contractual obligations, both on the buy side and on the sell side, to take the outbound payments from the United States out of the picture. So there is some level of self-help. Are Swiss companies thinking about that, or are they mainly focused on what they're saying to the government? I mean, when, when I listen to what those plans currently seem to be looking like, when I look at the, the prospect of this allowance, it has such a wide scope that I'm not sure if I'm a Swiss business and I'm doing business in the US, either directly or through a US subsidiary, how can I escape those rules unless I have a higher tax rate, right? 
Mm-hmm. And I think what's also important to note is that Switzerland is not only confronted with the shield plan, Switzerland is also confronted with uh, the overall pillar two plans, uh, the likely 15% global minimum tax plans um, likely implemented in the near future. So I think the, the most realistic prospect currently is that Switzerland we'll find a way of how we adapt our tax system so that we fulfill the minimum taxation requirements. We currently expect that to be at the 15% rate. Mm -hmm. And again, there is a pretty simple also fiscal and uh, tax revenue perspective to that, which is that if you have a Swiss group uh, that has either at the top or somewhere in the group low taxed uh, Swiss companies, that interact with higher taxed foreign companies being in the US or somewhere else. Um, that undertaxed payment rule in Pillar 2, which is kind of similar, but maybe a bit uh, less um, comprehensive than the shield uh, plans, that is likely to bite and is likely to trigger additional tax abroad, um, which means that Swiss groups would be to pay more tax overall, but not in Switzerland. So I expect that uh, Switzerland will look at A, the rates, but B, also at the introduction of things like the income inclusion rules, Mm -hmm. Um, especially because um, if you looked at SHIELD to be somewhat comparable to the undertaxed payment rule in Pillar 2, then, and I think somebody mentioned it, the fact that Switzerland would introduce an income inclusion rule um, with a 15% target rate would basically avoid uh, the application of shield. So that's what I'm expecting to happen, quite frankly, because it's not just the US momentum, it's it's a global momentum where Switzerland with a landscape of, uh, you know, sometimes 12% ordinary rates mm-hmm. uh, is going to come under pressure. And my expectation is that we will increase rates and adapt our system. Right, because if the rates are going to go up anyway, it's either you have to increase rates to get your revenue or we're going to increase our rates to get your revenue, right? So, Because when when you look at what the alternative is, the alternative is add backs. mm -hmm. In the worst case, in an extent like Shield, which is a complete disallowance, um, that's an absolute no-go. So you have to find ways of how you avoid that. And it looks like the solution is in um, managing the tax rate that Switzerland applies to get out of the scope. And that's what I expect to happen. I think one of the challenges is going to be um, knowing that Swiss political processes are not the fastest on this world. You know, and I think that's why the effective date for SEALD is is switched out. It's not beginning 2022, it's beginning 2023. Uh, the challenge is going to be how quickly can Switzerland introduce such rules, looking at the shield being targeted January 1, 23. And I would also expect that some of the large European countries are also going to push heavily for an introduction of Pillar 2 fairly quickly, probably also January 1, 23. And that's going to put Switzerland under pressure in terms of um, a very fast uh, political legislative process uh, that we would have to accomplish. So a 2023 adoption date sounds like a long time from now. I think the 
concept is that beat will stick around until shield kicks in. And so I think companies will have to look at both and do planning for both at the same time. That's not going to be fun. Peter, let's say shield doesn't pass. Is there going to be pressure to raise the rates in Switzerland and adopt an income inclusion rule anyway? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I think that the pressure is there with all the BEPS 2.0 and Pillar 2 plans, the most recent G7 and G20 resolutions. So there is no question that Switzerland, like other low-tax jurisdictions, is under pressure to, uh, to adapt from both a tax rate, but also from a tax system perspective. So SHIELD is proposed to kick off in 2023 to give countries a bit of time to raise rates and adopt qualifying IIRs as those kinds of things don't happen overnight. So if we do end up with the SHIELD, which if it happens is likely this year, i.e. prior to midterm elections, we're looking at a fairly long period before the dust finally settles. Mm, it's going to be a rough ride, um, possibly. Interesting, definitely. But in the meantime, be good, stay well, and we'll speak again soon. You've been listening to Destination Country X. Thanks so much for tuning in. We look forward to speaking to you next time.